0: Today's episode of Death, Dying, and Other Things is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com deathdyingpod. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Today's episode of Death, Dying, and Other Things is also brought to you by BarkBox.com. Get one free extra month of BarkBox at getbarkbox.com slash You're listening to the Modern Horrors Podcast Network. Just a quick shout-out to Daniel Smith and Daya Darko for supporting the show on Patreon. It means a lot. If you'd like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash death, dying, and other things. Any little bit helps. Now, on to the show. Arguments in the apartment next door. Kids talking shit in the playground when they thought you weren't around. The whispers in the corner of the basement that doesn't have a light. I can't count the number of times in my life I've heard something that I was not supposed to hear. It can sting, like when you hear people you thought were your friends talking about how much they dislike you. It can be exciting when you overhear your parents talking about plans to take you on a vacation. And it can knife into your subconscious, altering you forever like when a kid in your class tells you that macabre rumor about that stack of rocks in the woods behind your school. This month, on Death, Dying, and Other Things, two stories about things you weren't supposed to hear. In the first, the desert rose, a traveler hears breathing in the walls of his motel room. In the second, a stab of air, a curse uttered in one town, is heard in another. and dying. The thresholds between this world and the next. The boundary between light and dark. The barrier between worlds. And that's where we're going. We're going into the shadows to bring you stories of horror and heartbreak. From the Modern Horrors Podcast Network, this is Death, Dying, and Other Things. I'm Justin Buskey. Stay with us. Much younger than I am now. I spent a lot of time on the road. What I was doing is none of your business, thank you very much. Let's just say I moved things. One day, in particular, my rusty pickup rattled down the interstate somewhere in New Mexico. The tarp in the bed of the truck whipped in the wind, held down by chunks of broken cinder blocks. My truck didn't have air conditioning or nothing like that, and rolling the windows down only helped a bit. The sun made goddamn sure it was hot that day. I was a long way from home, out in the desert, wasn't used to the heat. My clothes were soaked through from all the sweating. I pulled up to my destination around five, a little bit later than expected. Can't say my benefactors were happy with my tardiness. Can't say I was, either, when I walked in on what they were doing. I gave them the package they were expecting, and I left with a broken finger. Lesson learned. Don't be late. The plan that night was to drive until I couldn't anymore and then get a motel. I didn't expect the desert to be so deserted. I played games with myself to keep myself awake well past midnight. I know it doesn't seem late, but I've always been an early-to-bed, early-to-rise type of fella. One of the games I liked to play to keep my blood flowing late at night on those long drives was when I think we'd all played. I'd settle in at, say, 80 miles an hour, turn off my headlights, and see if I could last until the count of five. One. Two. Shit too goddamn dark out here I remember thinking to myself when I flipped the headlights back on the desert's just too dark then I started blushing I was embarrassing myself what kind of weakling can't stand five seconds in the dark I shut him off again one two three flipped him back on too damn dark couldn't even see where I was going that's the point dumbass I told myself Flip those lights off. Be a man about it. One. Two. Three. Four. Five. I flipped them back on just in time to look into the eyes of the armadillo I smeared onto the highway. That's when I saw it, maybe five miles off the road. A motel. Just what I needed. I pulled into the motel a couple of minutes later. It called itself the Desert Rose. The sign was a great big neon rose. There were ten rooms, but only one automobile was in the parking lot, and I suspected that belonged to the gentleman behind the counter who was watching an infomercial on a little ten-inch television. They really committed to the rose name. Planters lined both of the walls of the alcove the counter was at, filled with red roses. You water them all yourself? I asked the man behind the counter. Nah, mama does it. I nodded my head and asked if he had a room available. He thought I was trying to be an ass. I had to apologize twice before he believed I was just being polite. I asked if he had any painkillers, aspirin, something like that, and he noticed my now purple index finger. He did, fortunately but charged me a dollar for two. Hell of a markup. He put me in room three. It's close to the ice machine, he said, but far enough from me that I won't hear what you're getting up to. I laughed, but when he didn't, I stopped myself. He handed me a key and turned his head back to the television. On these trips, I packed light. I only had one change of clothes, but I wanted to get into them as soon as I could. Sweating all day and all night had not been kind. I took the aspirin and hopped in the shower, and I let myself air dry, trying to keep myself cool. I could hear the wind picking up outside. The aspirin didn't really help my finger. It was swollen. twice the size it should have been so I nicked it with my pocket knife to relieve some of the pressure and tied a pen to it to keep it straight I'd have to get to the doctor when I got home the wind really was picking up out there and I wanted to ice my finger before I laid down to get some shut-eye I parted the curtains and sure enough the wind was howling blowing dust every which way but that's not what caught my eye the man at the front desk. He was out from behind the counter, standing against the wall that was covered in roses and staring. Staring at my room, and now that the blinds were open, staring at me. I jumped back, startled. I was just startled is all. I parted the curtains again, and sure enough, he was still staring. I waved, thinking to be a smartass. He didn't wave back. He didn't even move. I decided against going to get ice for my finger. When I turned around, I could have swore I saw one of the pictures on the wall move. I walked over to it, eyed it up and down. Must have just been my imagination, or a trick of the light. Laying down in that lumpy motel bed, I closed my eyes. The wind roared outside. I could hear dusk, Leaves, twigs, hitting the window, hitting the door. I couldn't sleep with that kind of racket. I laid in bed, dreading the drive the next day, hoping the wind would calm down so I could get at least a few hours sleep. When it finally did, I wished it hadn't. The wind was covering up a sound far, far worse, I thought I saw that picture move again, and then I could have swore I heard it breathing. A slow, steady breath. Pictures don't breathe, I told myself, and they don't move. Relax. Get some sleep. But that picture just kept on breathing. Heavy, slow, steady breathing. I tried to ignore it. I blamed it on my finger. The pain's just putting sounds in your head. Just close your eyes and get some sleep. You'll feel better in the morning. I took one last look at that picture out of the corner of my eye, and sure enough, it moved again. I was sure of it. I got up from the bed and walked over to it. It was one of them pictures of landscapes that you find on motels along otherwise empty stretches of desert highway. I reached up to grab it, to look behind it, see if there was a mouse or something making it move. And when I did, the breathing stopped. Just stopped. I reached up meaning to take the picture down and investigate further, but before I could, I heard another sound. It came from the wall in the back of the room, back in the rear of the building, facing the desert, I couldn't decide what it was at first. A soft shook, shook, shook. I walked on over, walked to the back of the room so I could hear it more clearly, but I still couldn't decide what it was. Shook, shook, shook. I put my ear to the wall, anything to make it out more clearly. Shook, shook, shook. I couldn't tell. It was too indistinct, muffled by the walls. A coyote howled in the distance. I walked back over to the window and parted the curtains. The parking lot was a mess. Dust and tumbleweeds and debris from the windstorm. The road was going to be hell in the morning. The light was off at the front desk. The manager must have went to sleep, I figured, but as soon as that thought crossed my mind, I saw him crossing the parking lot, coming from back behind the building, with a shovel over his shoulder. I turned and saw that damn picture move again. I marched over to the thing and ripped it off the wall. Behind it was a hole in the wall slightly smaller than the picture. The edges of the drywall were wet, covered in something thick something like sap, but that wasn't the most troubling. What was the most troubling was what was past the drywall, inside the wall. Thick vines or stalks or something, gray, green, and covered in thorns, and a couple of pale white. Well, I guess you could call them roses, but the petals were thick and rubbery, I reeled back, disgusted and surprised, and in response one of those vines whipped out of the wall and slashed its thorns across my face. Another lashed out and tried to wrap around my ankles, but I was already halfway to the door. In the parking lot, I stopped momentarily, I don't know why, and looked over to the office, making eye contact with the manager. He ducked behind his desk, searching for something. And when he emerged, whatever he was searching for caught the moonlight. A knife. A big one. He took off toward me, waving the knife above his head, screaming like the devil. I got into my truck and fumbled with the keys. I barely got the truck started in time. I didn't need any more games to keep my blood pumping that night. If you're a fan of this podcast and looking for a way to support the show, you really can't go wrong by logging onto Apple Podcasts and rating, reviewing, and subscribing. It really helps us out. May you disintegrate. May you disappear from the inside. Those words left the mouth of the dying man like a feather. They were meant in retribution for those doctors that had failed him, meant in retaliation for those children that had left him, and meant in outright spite for whoever would discover his decaying corpse. They'd never reach their intended targets, Instead, the draft through the kitchen where he died carried the words through the house and out of the single cracked window near the back. Then, those words, like souls escaping bodies, floated into the sky. The words didn't descend until nightfall, hundreds of miles down the highway in a small college town. They fluttered in the wind waving back and forth through the air like leaves falling in autumn. Each word took its time, as if enjoying the ride. They circled their prey like vultures, spiraling those last hundred feet or so. When the words reached the ground once more, they found Chris Warner, a professor at the college, on his back porch reading Steinbeck. The air was cool, but not cold the breeze gentle, and Chris's light jacket was enough to keep him warm. Those words entered Chris's left ear canal with a force. The jagged edges of each word scraped down the sides, and he raised his hand to his ear in response. He thought an insect had crawled inside, large and covered in spines, but then the words found his eardrum, and each one rang out, hitting his brain like a hammer. May you disintegrate, may you disappear from the inside. Those words were the last thing Chris Warner ever heard out of his left ear. He threw down his book and hurried inside, pressing his hand against his bleeding ear. He whipped past his wife Paula on the couch. She asked, is everything all right? But he didn't hear her words. Instead, preoccupied with those words still bouncing around, in his mind. Chris barged into their daughter's bathroom and slammed the door behind him, hurrying to the mirror. He took his hand away from his ear. It was covered in blood, and blood had seeped through his fingers and dripped halfway down his arm. The left side of his face was likewise smeared. Chris turned the hot water on, Rinsing the blood from his hand and arm, and then splashing it onto his face. The blood kept coming. Paula knocked on the bathroom door, and when she heard Chris struggling instead of answering, she found the door unlocked. Oh my God, she said, hurrying to Chris's side. What happened? He found himself unable to answer, instead, distracted by the liquid pouring from his ear. Paula grabbed several rags from under the sink, using them to sop up some of the blood. Each one was saturated with red within a few seconds, and she piled them up on the bathroom counter. Chris rummaged around in the drawers. As he did, dark blood rolled across his cheek and down to the tip of his nose, where it started dripping into those same drawers covering combs and sticks of deodorant and toothbrushes. Down the hall, Laura, their daughter, roused from the commotion, opened her bedroom door, and saw the light from the bathroom spilling into the hall. Chris found what he was looking for, a cotton swab, which he plunged into his ear with the hope that he could find the creature causing his injuries. Instead, he was met with searing pain, blacked out, and toppled to the ground. Laura, just then looking into the bathroom to see what was going on, screamed. Chris woke up in the hospital. Paula and Laura had dragged Chris out of the bathroom, through the house, into the garage, and gotten him into the car. The doctors had stopped the bleeding, and Chris had a large pack of gauze taped to his head. Paula noticed him come to and smiled. Laura was sprawled out on a chair nearby, fast asleep. Paula walked over to the side of Chris's hospital bed and filled him in. They don't know what caused it, she said. The inside of your ear looks like it went through a cheese grater. Your eardrum is just... exploded. It's like something sharp got plunged into there repeatedly. Jesus, Chris said. Your eardrum is gone. Done. You won't have hearing out of your left ear anymore, Paula continued. That sucks, Chris said. Did they find anything in there? Have any idea what caused it? I thought maybe like a bug crawled in. No. They didn't find anything. Listen, the doctor said that this injury doesn't just happen. Did you... Paula paused, trying to choose her words carefully. Did you put something in your ear? Are you asking me if I did this to myself? Chris asked. I just... The doctor asked if you had ever hurt yourself before, and I told him, not as long as I have known you, but... Paula trailed off. But what? but I haven't known you your whole life, she said. Chris was, for a split second, insulted, but then re-examined what this all might look like. He came in from the outside gushing blood. There was no evidence of anything entering his ear, but the inside of his ear looked like ground beef. I know how this all looks, Chris said, but I didn't do this to myself. Paula nodded. Laura rolled over, opening her eyes slightly, and saw that her father was awake. Finally, Laura said, I thought you were going to sleep forever. Look who's talking, Chris said. A few minutes passed before the doctor returned and tried to ask Chris more questions about his injury. Chris tried his best to answer them, but then he felt those words, deep in his mind, feeling around, groping through his subconsciousness. The blood seeped from that now useless canal for several days after Chris's trip to the hospital. Each change of the gauze stuffed into his left ear emerged lighter and lighter until his inner ear was scarred over completely. When he removed the packing for the last time, Chris took a sharp breath in and braced himself. Somehow, in the back of his mind, he held out hope that once the bandages were gone from his left ear, his hearing would return. It didn't, and that took a lot of getting used to. But it wasn't the end of the world. Things went back to normal, and within a few months, Chris and his family had generally forgotten about the weird episode with his left ear. Chris stood at the bathroom mirror, brushing his teeth. It was late, later than he usually went to bed, but Paula and Laura had left that morning to go stay with Paula's parents for a week. Chris had stayed behind because he couldn't get off work, and so it was just him and an empty house. He had planned to make the most of it. That night, he had ordered a pizza and eaten damn near the whole thing himself. And he'd watched two movies he'd been meaning to but could never convince Paula to watch with him. He called Paula and Laura a few hours back to make sure they had arrived and to say goodnight. And then he'd cracked another couple beers while watching sports replays until after midnight. He spit the toothpaste into the bathroom sink and ran his tongue around his teeth like he had a million times before. He was halfway around his top teeth when he felt it. How smooth they were. His teeth had somehow lost all the ridges, all the edges, and what he was left with all around his mouth were little stubs of white, completely flat, And nearly half of the size they should be. And what's more, they hurt. Suddenly and completely, all of those malformed teeth ached like the worst toothache Chris had ever had. He leaned in to get a closer look, opening his mouth wide and angling his head so the light shone into his mouth. He could see it happening. It was obvious. His teeth, now somehow ground to flat stubs, were left chalky and brittle. He now saw with each breath he released from his lungs, flakes of white released themselves from his rapidly deteriorating teeth. Chris closed his mouth, swallowed in response to his spiked anxiety, and felt the ashy sludge of his saliva mixed with his dusty teeth slide past his tongue. Paula didn't pick up when Chris tried her cell phone. Neither did Laura, for that matter. It was too late, obviously. They were asleep. He tried Paula back again, and when it went to voicemail, he tried to leave a message, but found talking incredibly hard without his teeth. His face was a constant grimace now, His teeth had, in the space of the fifteen minutes since he somehow mangled his teeth with his toothbrush, lost the majority of the bone in his mouth. All of the nerves, from his incisors to the wisdom teeth he never had removed, were exposed. Simply breathing was agony. It wasn't long after putting his cell phone down that Chris's right pinky went limp. Like a noodle he raised his hand to his face and tried to wiggle it and instead his nerves sent waves of pain up his arm and into his brain he shouted out and found his jaw had gone slack and though his chin was still intact that didn't do any good when his upper jaw had somehow suffered the same fate as his pinky rushing back to his cell phone He had decided it was time to call the in-laws' landline. He'd wake everyone up, but this was an emergency. The ring finger on his right hand went limp around this time, but eight fingers were enough to operate a phone. The line clicked, and he heard his father-in-law grumble into the receiver. Who is this? Chris, momentarily relieved, tried to answer but the now complete lack of bone in his lower jaw meant the only way he could respond was with a Is this a fucking joke? Chris's father-in-law said. Chris said. Don't call here again, you asshole. Chris's father-in-law said. And then he hung up. Chris panicked. He needed help. And he wasn't going to get it by calling anyone. He rushed over to the front door. He'd go to a neighbor's house. They'd have to help. Reaching out for the doorknob, his hand slapped against it and then fell limp. He took a sharp breath in and momentarily tried to trap the doorknob between his two forearms before giving up and rushing to the back door. The big one. The sliding glass door he rushed through during that weird episode with his left ear. He was almost there almost to that big sliding glass door with its big flat handle, a few strides away, and his ankle gave out. Chris hit the floor with the full force of his weight, unable to break the fall, and then screamed. Paula and Laura cut their stay with Paula's parents short by four days. She wasn't able to reach Chris in the two days since they had arrived, And that just wasn't like him. The police, of course, wouldn't do anything. And so, they drove home. When they arrived, they saw no sign of Chris. They found his cell phone on the kitchen counter. They found two slices of pizza in the fridge, but nothing else. Paula decided they'd go down to the police station. The police would have to do something if they were there in person. Laura, before they left, needed to pee, and so hurried off to the bathroom before they rushed off to the police station. She screamed, and Laura joined her within moments. Laura, between screams, threw up onto the ground. The bath faucet was trickling. Chris had managed to do that much in his last moments of action. He knew he'd need water in the coming days. Chris had positioned his mouth at the bottom of the bath by the drain so he could lap up water with his tongue when he needed it. Paula, who had crept toward the bathtub, couldn't distinguish much else of Chris besides that mouth. This episode of Death, Dying, and Other Things was produced and edited by me, Justin Buskey. The stories, both The Desert Rose and A Stab of Air, were written by me too. You can follow me on Twitter, at Justin Buskey. Intro and outro music is by the prolific Eric Warnke. Check him out on SoundCloud. Special thanks to Whispers and Bones. Death, Dying, and Other Things is a member of the Modern Horrors Podcast Network. Check out all of the other shows. They're great. New episodes the first Thursday of every month. This has been Death, Dying, and Other Things, and I've been your host, Justin Buskey. Stay out of the shadows.